We're in a series on the book of Acts. It is a series that I want to move toward seeking renewal, the idea of the power of God and the presence of God being more real to us than it ever has been before. There are two things that will come out in each of these sermons. They, they seem to be, uh, they fill the, these first chapters of Acts. And one of those things is prayer. If you go through the book of Acts and notice how often the church is in prayer, it will become obvious to you why they were so tuned in with God. And I just want to say that prayer is a foundational part of your life as a believer and our life as a church. And that prayer is where the power of God, the Holy Spirit begins to move and work in us. And tonight we have our prayer meeting, our corporate prayer meeting where we gather together as a whole. It's not at six, it's at five, note the change, five o'clock to six o'clock. And I encourage you, if, if, for you to join and we gather together to seek God in prayer, five o'clock here. As we pray individually and corporately, we will begin to see renewal happening among us, but we have to gather and call out on God. I was, uh, I think I've shared this with you before, in fact, I'm sure I have, that uh, I came to Christ in my late teen years and I was zealous for Jesus right from the start. And I began to tell everybody about Jesus. And unfortunately, my family were the ones that got it the most because that's where I always spent most of my time. And so I felt it was my responsibility to share Jesus in every commercial, every TV show, every time we ate, every time basically somebody breathed was what it seemed like. And I was fairly zealous to share my faith. Um, now, looking back, I can see that that zealousness needed to be uh, cooled, it needed, not, not cooled isn't the right word, it needed to be controlled, it needed to be directed. But I was young, I was new, I was a baby believer, and I was talking about Jesus. And uh, my family, my parents came to me and said, look, if you don't stop this Jesus thing, you're gonna have to leave the house. Now, I was 17 years old, and looking back, I noticed two things. Uh, well, I, I, I had no idea where I would go if I had to leave, and so this was a crisis for me. And I had to decide if I was going to shut up or speak up. That was really the question that was put to me, right? You shut up or you got to leave if you keep speaking up. Now, I have to be very honest and say I was way overzealous, that I didn't have tact. And I pushed it too hard. I got to admit that that's probably... 80% of the problem. But when I look back, I also see something else that was going on, and it was this. That Satan is constantly at work, and he wants us to shut up. But the Spirit of God is at work, and he wants us to speak up. And that was in on the mix in that moment that I had to decide what to do. Would I shut up or would I speak up? I think what I, I can't remember clearly, but I think what happened is I changed my tactics. I, I kind of took my zeal and, and began to make, uh, use it in a right way rather than a wrong way. And it must have worked because my mom came to Christ several years later and I never got kicked out of the house. But I clearly remember that I was faced, will I shut up or will I speak up? And Satan wants us to shut up and the spirit wants us to speak up. 
Now I wish I could say that I still had that zeal all the time through my whole Christian life. That I have never missed an opportunity to share Jesus whenever I had it. And that I've had a few people tell me, get out, because I was being faithful and speaking up for Jesus. Unfortunately, I can't say that because it wouldn't be true. The truth is there is nothing that has caused me more guilt and more uh, struggle and, and, and more uh, uh, agony than knowing I should say speak up and instead having shut up. And I'm going to guess that this is true for you too. That of all the things in your following Jesus that make you uncomfortable and cause guilt and struggle in your soul, that this one is at least in the top three, if not the top one. I know the Spirit wants me to speak up, but I, I just paralyze and I'm afraid. And, and this next chapter that we're going to read in the book of Acts, I think, offers us some help in dealing with that. So Acts chapter four, it's the passage that Crystal just read. Acts chapter four, verse one, the priests and the captain of the temple guard. Now stop there for a second. Who's here in this group? Well, the priests, well, who are the priests? Well, the religious leaders. Okay, so get it. They didn't just send the temple guards to, to get Peter and John, the priests were present. Why? Well, because Crystal explained that Peter and John went to the temple and in a crowded time, they healed that beggar who, and he was jumping around and dancing and whew, and everybody knew that he was a beggar that was lame and now he's walking, what's going on? The attention turns to Peter and John. Peter uses the opportunity to preach a spicy sermon, not just a sermon, a spicy sermon where he says you have put to death the author of life and he calls them to repent. I mean, he's not holding back. He's just letting it go. And so now the priests who were the ones he said put to death the author of life go get the temple guards and say, we need to talk to you. So the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, also part of the religious Leadership came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So they're approaching them. Peter and John are still preaching the sermon, and they're there for it. And they were greatly upset, greatly disturbed. They were ripping mad, is the way we can translate that. Because, why were they ripping mad? Because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. <laughs> now remember, it wasn't just a couple months ago they put Jesus to death. And now these apostles are telling everybody Jesus rose from the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. In chapter 2, we're told 3,000 came to faith. Now it's five, Now they're up to 5,000, so 2,000 people from that sermon 
plus, it says men, so that they would count families by the, the head of the family, the man, and so they, there was men, but there was also women and children there, and they too would follow and put their faith. So there's a mass, at least 2,000 people who have repented and believed. So why did they put them in jail? Well, because they were upset that the apostles were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. This is the heartbeat underneath, the motive that makes this story wind up in the book of Acts in chapter four. If you look at verse 17 and 18, it comes out there too. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, so this is the religious leaders talking, spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Not just to no longer preach, but don't preach about Jesus to anybody else. We gotta stop them from doing it. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. We don't care what you say, you just can't talk about Jesus. Stop it. Satan wants us to what? Shut up. The Spirit wants us to what? Speak up. Look at verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord, against the anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. So that's why they don't like them preaching in Jesus' name, because they're bringing the guilt on them of what they had done. Opposition. Opposition to speaking up the name of Jesus. Now, I wish I could say that, oh, the world changed, the church was accepted, and the message of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins is now wonderfully accepted in the world in which we live. But that just isn't the truth. In fact, today it's more like the book of Acts in chapter four than ever before in our culture. Um, During COVID, during the first uh, few months of COVID, one of our young adult life groups decided that they were going to use Alpha as, they were gonna run Alpha. Now Alpha, if you're not familiar with it, is a program that helps people who are not followers of Christ to consider the claims of who Jesus is and what it means that he rose from the dead, and his call for, to give forgiveness of sins if you put your faith in him. That's what it's designed to do, help people who are not believers or followers of Christ to consider becoming a believer or follower of Christ. So, our young adult group, these young men, they prayed, they interceded for f- their friends, and then they went out and invited them uh, online to be part of their life group. This is what we're doing. We're doing an alpha course. This is what it's about. We would like to invite you if you want to be part of it. And they had a number of their friends who weren't followers of Christ join them during uh, once a week on Zoom to go through alpha. 
And one of those individuals became very interested and began to start to talk and interact with the message. And he soon put his faith in Jesus Christ and became a follower of Christ. He was picked up by an individual in our church who began to, is discipling him and helping him grow in his faith. And meanwhile, his parents were really struggling with the fact that their son began to attend a Christian church because his family is not from a Christian background. They come from a totally different religious background. And they were resisting him coming to Springville. And yet he was trying to be faithful and follow Christ. And he knew that his family wanted him to shut up, but he felt like he had to speak up. And so he's praying over that. And with his mentor, they were praying about how, what would be the time. Till finally, just recently, he decided it was time that he needed to share with his family the truth of why he goes to a church that he had, he would chosen to follow Jesus. And when he shared that with his parents, his parents said, if you follow Jesus and you get baptized, then you're dead to us. That's a pretty strong response. That's opposition. That's today. And I don't need to go into your workplace or your home or with your family group and friend group to know that if you speak up for Jesus, you're going to encounter very likely the same kind of opposition to some degree, maybe not that extreme, but some opposition. And that's what makes us fear. The culture that we live in has shifted radically, at least for me, Uh, for some of you, you don't know it because you've been born after the shift, but when I was growing up and in high school and then on into university, our culture was was based on a modern philosophy of life. In other words, there is such a thing as truth, as absolute truth, but, and you use science to discover it. But that began to fray in the early 80s and and by mid 80s, we quickly changed to from a modern mindset where there's such a thing as absolute truth to a postmodern mindset in which there is no such thing as absolute truth, but that each person discovers truth for themselves and in our highly individualistic western culture we are very much when you get to the core of our culture it's about the rights of the individual they supersede the rights or the intentions or the interest of the whole and so in our individualistic western culture the idea that there's truth is relative that you can have your truth and you can have your truth and you can have your truth and I can have my truth is is now fully accepted the only thing was I should never say to you that your truth is wrong so how narrow and how oppressive and how intolerant of me to say that your truth is wrong and my church's truth is right added to that in this shift became the rise of our victim culture in which groups who were really attacked and oppressed, groups like ethnic minorities and uh, homosexual groups and now the transgender groups who really were oppressed and attacked and put down. And uh, just look at residential schools as one example of, of how our culture was dealing with some of these 
uh, smaller groups and less powerful groups. And so the, the voice of the victim culture began to rise in terms like white oppression and trans, uh, transphobic and, and homophobic began to, to explain and infiltrate the mindset of our culture in our world because our culture was viewed as highly Christian and that it was the Christian mindset that has oppressed the people in our culture. And soon, the voice over a relatively short period of time, the, the voice of the victim culture has gained the dominant role in our culture. And you know it because in, in, in our world, we constantly talk about being politically correct. There's some things you can and cannot say that we used to say 25 years ago, nobody thought anything about it. But now, you can't say those things. And there are things you can believe and you can't believe because the things there are things you believe that are very oppressive and very intolerant and very uncaring for other people groups and so when you come into a relativistic individualistic and and victim culture that we live in now and you say there is only one way for the forgiveness of sins first you got to say we are all sinners you are a sinner well that's highly intolerant and there's only hope and forgiveness of sins in one person, Jesus. What do you mean? And without him, there's no acceptance, no forgiveness, no reconciliation with God. You can't think of a more op- oppressive, intolerant, self-righteous attitude that a person could have in our culture a relativistic, individualistic victim culture. And yet, the Bible says that Jesus loves all people, regardless of our orientation, our ethnicity, our background, regardless of what we have done. That the cross is the answer to our sin. And that is the message we carry. And if we carry it into our world, we should expect opposition because that is not the belief system of the world into which we live, are born and live. Now Peter and John faced opposition much as you will and I will when we dare to Talk about now. I'm not saying every person you talk to is going to be opposed. There will be some quite open, as was in this story. But there will be some quite opposed. And notice how Peter and John react. Verse five. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the now. Notice, take notice. Why does Luke mention all these groups? Look who he mentions: rulers. Elders, teachers of the law, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexanders, and others of the high priest family. Where have we seen this same group meet just about two months previous to this? Well, they were the same people who met to condemn and put to death Jesus. And here they are back on the scene to condemn and stop the message of Jesus through his church. 
They had Peter and John brought before them and began, by the way, they're the people with the power. And they began to question them. By what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason Luke puts this right here, I believe, is because he wants us to know where Peter got the boldness, the courage, the words, and the clarity to be able to deliver this message to these people. That the filling of the Holy Spirit gives a courage and a boldness and a strength that is beyond us as individuals, that we can muster up in ourselves. That when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a renewing impact, a renewing effect that's had upon our hearts and our souls. Peter says, rulers and elders of the people. If we are being called... (laughs) So you got to see the irony here. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, like what is your problem? A guy who couldn't walk for 40 years or more and you're upset. Well, that's not why they're upset. Shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of, don't say it, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Now, (laughs) Peter, like, did you have to say that? Did you have to add whom you crucified? Could you not have softened the blow? Apparently, when we're filled by the Spirit, there will be times when we have to step into opposition. I'm not quoting this to say every time you get in a conversation, you've got to be obnoxious. I'm saying there will be times when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have to say the hard things. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself or herself, take up the cross, paint, and do as I have commanded. The words of Jesus. There will be times when the Holy Spirit will give us opportunity and we will have to say some things we don't want to say because we know it's not going to sit well or we're least afraid it's not going to sit well. It's by this one, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you. And by the way, Jesus is the stone. This is a quote from the Old Testament they would be well familiar with. He is the stone you built. It was also a quote by Jesus. Jesus used this quote to explain why the elders, the leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the high priests, why they weren't getting it. Why they missed what God was doing. Peter picks up. Peter would have been there when Jesus said it. Picks it back up and brings it back to them. That Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. So when they 
would build a building, they would clear an area, and then they would put down that chief cornerstone. That's why we sang that this morning, the chief cornerstone. And then the whole building would be built in relation to that cornerstone. It was perfectly laid, it was perfectly placed, and it determined the course of the whole building, the level of it, the direction of it, the foundation of it. It all rested on the cornerstone. And he said, you rejected the cornerstone of God, but it's him that the kingdom of heaven is being built. But you've rejected it. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's... Now this is the message of scripture, but this is the message that will cause opposition in your world. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You either shut up about it or you speak up about it. That's what we shut up about or speak up about. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, meaning they, weren't, they didn't have education, and they were ordinary. They were fishermen and carpenters. And, but they were astonished, <laughs> and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now that, to us, that's a badge of honor. Ed, boy, I don't get your life, but I think it has something to do with Jesus. But they didn't mean it as a badge of honor. They go, we got rid of the Jesus, and now they're popping up. This is a problem. But since they could see, now, this is where you see the reality of spiritual warfare going on in this. That there's something more going on than just they don't like Jesus. In fact, if you go through the New Testament, we will see that Satan's primary goal, if you do a survey of the Old Testament, or the, rather the New Testament, you will see that Satan's primary goal is to oppose Jesus and the work of Jesus, which means to shut down the church and shut down the church on mission. There are two things Satan doesn't want to, he doesn't care what we do, as long as we don't pray, and as long as we don't tell people about Jesus. Once you become a church that starts to really get into prayer, and really tell people about Jesus, he's coming after us. And once you become a person who rather than under the influence of Satan shuts up, but by the power of the Spirit speaks up, you become a target. You're in a war. If you're in the back lines and your gun is sitting back, you're not a threat to the enemy. But if you're in the front lines, in prayer, and looking for ways, and listening for the Holy Spirit to guide you to how you tell about Jesus, you are in a war. And the church that does that is in a war. Now, as I said, this is where we're going to see that our battle is not against flesh. It's not against the people that oppose us. 
Paul says in Rome, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but against the rulers and authorities and powers and principalities in this dark world. They are at work. There is divine, demonic beings that are at work trying to stop the work of Jesus in this world. And they will work through culture. They will work through people. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now, stop and think about what that just said. They're trying to shut Peter and John down, shut them up, but they see this miraculous event of a man who had been lame for 40 years whom no one could help, and they, in the name of Jesus, raise him up and allow him to walk, and they go, we can't say anything about this. Man, how are we going to shut this down? How about this? How about, wow, God's at work. Maybe we should take a notice here. This doesn't make sense. They recognize that something miraculous has happened, but rather than submit to it, they oppose it. Why? Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Because the unbeliever isn't aware of the influence of Satan and how he is using and manipulating them. But certainly we as Christians should be. And when we run into things that don't make sense, Remember, the battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the demonic forces of this world that are seeking to destroy Jesus and his church and to shut us up. And so, well, we can't figure out how this guy was healed, so let's go uh, take, tell Peter and John they gotta leave, and what are we gonna do about these men? How about listen to them? Clearly they did something only God could do. Well, everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we can't deny it. I mean, we can't disprove it. I mean, it happened. Everybody knows that it happened. Well, why not listen to them? Maybe they are from God. Well, but to stop this thing from spreading any further. <laughs> Do you ever, ever on a trip and you're driving? I think... Men, you'll recognize this. Your wives are going to go, yes, I know, this is true. You're on a trip and you're driving and the map says turn here. And the compass on your display says this is west, turn here. But there's just something in it that says, I'm not supposed to turn here, I got to keep going. When everything around you, when by the way, usually your spouse is saying turn here too. And everything around you says turn here and you're like, nope, cool. I got to go. That's what's going on here. Everything around them is saying, this is Jesus. This is supernatural. This is unbelievable. Nope. Because the heart, their heart isn't open to Jesus. So they called them in, they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus and Peter and John. <laughs> and Peter and John said, okay, we won't. But... Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You want us to shut up? 
What's right? Should we fear God or fear you? Should we honor God or honor you? Who should we honor? And let us tell you what we're going to do. We're going to keep talking about Jesus. You do what you want. We're going to do what we know is right. So after further threats, they let them go, and they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. And for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. He didn't just grow out of this problem he had. It was supernatural. Now, if you're following along with me, I'm gonna, you may be feeling a little uncomfortable. I'm getting into this text, and I'm telling you about speaking up for Jesus, but you know the reality, like I know my reality behind the scenes, that I'm not so speaky-uppy when I need to be. And I'm not sure if, if I was honest, I would have had the courage of Peter and John to just come out with it. Because, you know, when I'm at work, and the opportunity comes up, I don't usually take it. Or I have a family member that I've never shared Jesus with because it's just too hard. My neighbors in my street have no idea. I, got to, I even go to church, let alone believe in Jesus. And so reading stories like this can be very uncomfortable. And hearing your pastors tell you, you need to speak up for Jesus. Yeah. Now, you can't go through the text and prove me wrong. I mean, the text says what it says. And you can't take John's, and Peter and John's example and say, well, they shouldn't have done that. I mean, they were led by the Holy Spirit. And you can't say telling people about Jesus isn't what we're supposed to do. That's chapter 1, verse 8. You're my witnesses. I mean, it all comes to play. The question is, will I choose to shut up or will I choose to speak up? You may never be called to be on a platform like I am speaking up and preaching this. Likely you aren't. You're likely called to quietly one-on-one -on -one with people around you, share your faith, invite them into things like Alpha, invite them into questions like, what do you think is going to happen when you die? That's probably your realm with the people you know. Some of you may be called to go into groups you don't know, but most of us are just trying, are called to to. Share with people around us that are already in relationship with us and interceding for them, involving ourselves in their life and then inviting them into conversation. That's what it is for most of you. But your choice is this. Do I shut up or do I speak up? And if you're anything like me, you struggle with that decision. Because fear paralyzes us what people think of us, how they might react. But we can't get away from the truth that the scripture is teaching that Satan in this world wants you to shut up about Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, will lead you to speak up. But you must choose. Now, this could be a very convicting, uncomfortable passage, but we could also look at it another way. We could also look at this passage and go, you know what? There's hope and help for me in this passage. 
Because by the way, Peter isn't the glowing example of people who always stood for Jesus. Remember him? Remember not two months ago in front of these same men, he denied knowing Jesus? Remember that? So maybe there's hope and help for us who struggle with it too. Now this chapter takes a turn here. And I think out of this is where I get, I get hope and encouragement. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had sent them. So they go back to their gathering of people. We don't know how big that gathering was. We know there's 5,000 people, but we don't know how big, where they're at. They go back. They could have went back to their life group. They could have went back to their big gathering. They could have went back to the leader. I don't know. They go back to the people, the people that are believers too, and they share the opposition and their time in jail, and together they're able to talk about what this means if we're going to speak up for Jesus, and how do you feel about that? Are you okay? And they're sharing with one one another the truth of what is going on in their life and so that's why we talk about being involved in some sort of group a life group a group of three a group of five whatever it is where you actually talk about what's true in your life too often in our life groups we come and we talk about everything but what is really happening in our lives and so we don't have the true depth of fellowship that God designs when people of like faith and like mind get together to talk about how they walk through life with the issues that they're facing and you know that you've been in a life group where it's just oh it's so superficial you're going I don't really want to go anymore find a new one simple the option isn't oh I'll just withdraw from fellowship I'll withdraw from community because then you're all alone how easy is it for Satan to shut you up when you're all alone and you don't have this support and encouragement of other believers going you know what I face the same thing with a person in my office I face the same thing with my parents. I face the same thing with my friends. When I'm playing sports, when I'm out golfing, when I, yeah, how do you, let's talk about that. The first thing they, so they share what's going on. Community isn't key. If you're trying to speak up for Jesus on your own, you will soon be overwhelmed by the force that Satan will bring against you to shut you up. The first thing is you're together with other believers. So stop. Where is that happening in your life? What night, what morning, what day of the week is that happening? And if you don't have an answer for that, you're already in danger. Maybe you just get two or three other good friends and say, let's you know, meet or get on Zoom once a week and talk about how we're doing in our faith and pray for one another because that's the second thing they do when they heard this that means the whole group the church when they heard this they raised their voices together in can you see that behind me this is where you say in prayer prayer Prayer. told you it comes up all the time now there's two things that happen in their prayer look at Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Implication, you're in control. 
Why are we so afraid about who's in control? You're in control. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, and then that's where he quotes, why do the nations rage? This comes right out of Psalm 2. And in Psalm 2, the author writes it and says, you know, God sets up his king and the people oppose him and the king laughs at their opposition. You're not even worried about it. Because who reigns? And who is going to bring his kingdom to fill the earth? And, and, and who's going to sum up time and bring his purposes all to conclusion? King Jesus. Look at the perspective shift. Boy, here we are. These rulers, they got the power. They're oppressing us. Not sure we can stand up. Hold it, hold it, hold it a second. Who's really in control? Who's really working his purposes out here? Who really is working and in control in my life right now? That, that all shifted in prayer. Prayer based on scripture. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, they met together. They crucified Jesus. They did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. It wasn't an accident that Jesus died. It wasn't God lost control of the steering wheel for a few minutes and Jesus died. It was what God had always, always planned right from the garden that there would be one who would bring redemption through being a sacrifice. This is always what God, he's fully in control. This isn't, this isn't out of control. We're not in danger. We're right where God wants us to be. Again, shifted all through prayer. Their, their uh, perspective shifted, but look at the power. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. First request, give us power. And the second request, do something that'll blow their minds. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do something that we can't, they can't explain, we can't explain. Just you at work. You ever pray that for somebody? God, do something I can't explain, they can't explain. Did it there, why couldn't he do it here? God, capture their hearts in such a way that they're open to the word. So they got together in community, they prayed, and then after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I asked myself, here's something to look at. Where else in scripture was something shaken and why was it shaken? I'll just leave that for you. And, there, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They gathered, they prayed, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they went back out and spoke boldly. Well, maybe there's something in there for us. Two things and I'm done. Number one, the whole vision that we have, our double our impact by 2025, that, that vision, this is the heartbeat of that vision. Our elders sought God, and we believed that God was calling us as elders in his church to step out more, to speak up more, to be a church and to be people, individuals that are speaking up the name of Jesus more in our church, in our community rather. That's the heartbeat of that vision that God is calling us out back to the mission he gave us. 
But this is a time for Springvale Church to trust God and to step out and watch what he would do. And we believe that because it honors and glorifies God that we are fruitful, that if we obey him, that we will see people put their faith in Jesus just like that young men's life group saw. We will see it as we step out. That over time, God will start bringing people to Christ. And then he'll bring others who are interested in being part of a church that's doing what God calls them to do. And that 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 would mean we would double our impact in our communities around us. That's the heartbeat of double our impact. Now, you get to choose whether you're going to shut up or speak up, right? We all get that choice. We all not get it. We have to make it. But that's the, I just want you to know, there's the heartbeat right out of scripture of our vision. To become a church that is increasing our impact for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the good of the people we know around us. The other thing I would say is, do you notice what a, what, what a big part prayer was in their lives? That first they sought God, then the Holy Spirit filled them, and then they went out and spoke. That the boldness flowed out of the renewing of the Spirit, and the renewing of the Spirit flowed out of their seeking God in prayer. Huh. The boldness flowed out of the Holy Spirit in them. The Holy Spirit renewed them in prayer. See you tonight at five.